Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. I'll be starting at verse 18. If you have a pew Bible, if you have a pew Bible, it is page 213. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they cannot endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Check, 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 check. Can everybody hear me? Can everybody hear me? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God for the reading of this word. Uh, Arnaldo, when he reads God's word, I mean, it, it comes to life, doesn't it? It absolutely does. All right, let me get situated here. For those who do not know me, uh, my name is Joel Gaines, and I am a sweater. That's why I have my towel up here. So we'll see how long my jacket stays on today. But uh, I have all my essentials. So good, more, uh, good afternoon again, uh, Risen Hope. Uh, I, I'm going to need that dialogue between pulpit and pew, all right? Uh, so I stopped over. I got a coffee from Wawa. I'm energetic. I'm excited. I thought I was actually uh, dealing with some kind of uh, initiation, uh, new pastor, new preaching role initiation with the pastors and things not working on the screen. But praise God, they are working. So I feel good and excited to be here. If you are new to Risen Hope, uh, we are going through a series, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, the creeds give us a reason to live in a worshipful dependence on God. And in preparation for this sermon, I reflected on the creed and enjoyed the I believe statements. Uh, the first line in the creed is, I believe in God the Father Almighty. That line itself is a powerful line and it evokes a confidence in who God is. Uh, I resonated with this over Thanksgiving when my, my daughter, my third daughter, my third child, Eliana, uh, at Thanksgiving was trying to open up a jar, and she was unable to open it, so she brought it to her brother, and he was unable to open it. So she took it back from him and said, you know what, I'm going to take it to daddy. Daddy's the strongest man I know. He can open up anything. And it felt good when I was able to pop that jar open, but it brought me back to the creeds where the first line again is, I believe in God the Father Almighty. See, she's putting her confidence in me, her hope, her, her, her joys in me, knowing that my daddy can do it. But for us as believers, we put our faith and hope and trust in God the Almighty, who can do all things. Amen? He is able. He is creator of heaven and earth. He is the one who can do all things, who's 
powerful, who's infinitely good, who's perfectly holy in all his ways. He's the one, the God, the Father Almighty. Now, some of you, I could just leave on that, on that point right there. You need that in your life right now. Some of you are coming in here weary and don't know where to turn. Turn to God, the Father Almighty. Amen? Preach that to your soul. But I think it would be helpful if we uh, read the creed together in its entirety. So we're, we're going to do that uh, in a moment. If we can pull that up, uh, the, the creed, I'm going to divide it up in male and female. We're going to read it together. Now, when we do this, we actually join the myriad of believers past and present who've recited this creed thousands of times over the years. We join the voices of believers who pushed against the narrative of individualism, the idea that I'm the captain of my universe, right? Or, or personal prosperity, or even, uh, even fatalism, the idea that everything in the future, everything in the future has been determined, so I have no responsibility in it. But this, the creeds, they align our hearts with Scripture, and focus our lenses on how God is and who he is. In this present age, in the age to come, it aligns our hearts to the hope that we have in God and our responsibility in it. Now, if you're not a Christian today, I hope that the hearing of the creed will give you a snapshot of what we believe as Christians. So actually, if you're able to, can we all stand, if you are able body to stand? And we're gonna read the creeds together. I'm going to join you right out here. You see the section there where it's male and female. So men, we're going to, we're going to start with our robust voice together and read the, the creeds together. Is that all right? All right, so let, let's read it together. Men, let's start. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. He ascended to heaven. I believe in the Holy Spirit. the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Stay standing. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for you. <laughs> I pray, God, that you will take the things that I've been meditating on, the scriptures that are so alive and so relevant to our lives today, today, and may you breathe life into your people. Take this mere man, decrease me, increase yourself, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may have a seat. Thank you so much. Man, we need to cut a CD. I don't know. There was that good, good back and forth. That's excellent. So a few years ago, my wife had the opportunity to meet a woman by the name of Rosario Butterfield at a women's conference put on by the Gospel Coalition. How many people have heard that name before? Rosario Butterfield, okay. So for those who haven't, uh, she is an author of a book entitled The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Rosario was an English professor and a professing lesbian. 
She was an intellectual and a huge gay rights activist. She was hostile toward Christians and toward the gospel. She wrote an article attacking the Christian faith in 1997, and as a result, she received a ton of mail because of it. Now, she had a Xerox box on, on, uh, next to her desk, two of them. One on one side, it was fan mail, and on the other side, there was hate mail. And then she came across a letter from a pastor named Ken who didn't fit into either one of those categories. His letter was kind and inquiring. He asked her a lot of questions that challenged her presuppositions. Ken's letter invited her to dinner at his house with him and his wife. So she accepted with intentions of using their conversation for further research to expose Christians to their narrow-mindedness and foolishness. She said, quote, I had seen my share of Bible verses on signs at gay pride marches, that Christians who mocked me on gay pride day were happy that I and everyone I loved were going to hell, as clear as the blue sky. But that's not what Ken did. He did not mock, he engaged. She described in her book the growing friendship she had with Ken and his wife Flo. Over two years, they would meet intentionally, meeting his friends, and, and, and Ken and Flo would offer hospitality to her. In fact, what she calls missional hospitality is a huge part and a huge theme in the book. The Lord used this couple's hospitality to bring herself to God. In a recent interview challenging Christians to rethink the missional potential of hospitality, Rosario is quoted as saying, it does not matter that there is cat hair on your couch. She says, it doesn't matter that all you can serve in that moment is macaroni and cheese and cereal. It absolutely does not matter. Why not? Because these small details fade to significance compared to the tremendous potential of hospitality on mission. That's where we dive into our text today. That's where we dive into the creed today. Up to this point, the Apostles' Creed speaks about the Godhead, right? It, it influences how we should interact and view our vertical relationship with God. Now we start to see how our vertical relationship with the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, should impact our horizontal relationship with one another. Our text today in Hebrews tells us what happens when we come to God and when people of God come to God. And I would like to highlight three things. So if you don't have your Bibles open or your app or whatever you have, open it up uh, to Hebrews 12. And I would like to highlight three things that would happen when we come to God. And it's right in the text and we'll be, we'll be in the Bible. All right. So first, uh, when we come to God, we come to the church. Then we come to this idea of communion of saints. And then we come to the one another's. And I'll unpack each one of those parts right from the text. Look at, look at verse 22. It says it right there. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. Here, Mount Zion is used as a metaphor for the church. Don't miss that. Because in the creed that we just read, the creed says that we believe in the holy Catholic church. 
Now, I know some of you are like, hold on, I'm, I, I thought I was at Risen Hope. What's going on right now, right? But as Protestants, Protestants, of course, we don't equate Catholic with Roman Catholic. Be mindful of that. Mindful of that. Some people prefer to say Holy Christian Church or Universal Church. Now, there's nothing wrong with this term. We should not be alarmed by the old wording at all. The word Catholic simply means general or universal, concerning the whole. We're not professing to be Roman Catholics. But it is interesting as you drive around Drexel Hill or Havertown, the Roman Catholic Church looks a little bit different. Sometimes the steeples are a little bit higher, or they have scenes in front of their church, right? Sculptures of biblical, uh, biblical scenes and biblical uh, stories in front of them. However, we as Christians, we should be distinct as the church. We are God's redeemed people who have trusted in Christ for, this, for our salvation. And another way theologians refer to the church is the visible church. Everybody say visible church. Oh, that, was, that was about half of the room. Let's get, let's get in there. I know it's four o'clock. What time are we at? Okay, five. Say visible. Okay, we are Christians who can be seen by all who come into our world, right? To observe it, to see the words and deeds that we do when we say that we profess faith in Christ. How do we respond when, when the mics go out? How do we respond when things don't go the way that we want them? We respond like the people of God. There should be a distinction how we react to different situations in our lives. There should be a distinction when you come to Mount Zion than those who are in the world. Because many appear to be a part of the visible church, but often there isn't a visible distinction in those people from the world. The number of people who say they're Christians, but there isn't that distinction. It should be an assembly of people who are living under the rule of Jesus and committed to each other in and under one faith. I, I like the way Martin Lloyd-Jones says it. He says, when the church is absolutely different from the world, she invariably attracts it. It is then the world, excuse me, it is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate her at first. That was Rosario Butterfield, a, a hatred for the church, but then now interacting with the church. When you walk over to Wawa, the manager over at Wawa, his name is Joe. That's funny, I got a cup of Joe today. I didn't make that connection. And as I'm picking up my coffee, he actually stopped me and said, uh, uh, you got the wrong cup for that. I didn't know, I was getting the iced coffee. Now, the iced coffee and the regular coffee, there's a different price. And he said, uh, like, I'm not, you know, saying that you're trying to cheat the system. I said, it's 60 cents. Like, I'll give you the 60 cents. He said, but I, people come in here and they try to beat the system, right, for 60 cents. I said, well, you know, it just so happens, Joe, that I'm preaching over the church across the street. So I, I, I want to make sure my sermon doesn't go bad. So let's, I'm going to give you the 60 cents. I, I wouldn't cheat you anyway. He said, he said, interesting. He said, there's, there's some women who come over from that church, and they, and they come into this Wawa, and I always see that there's something different about them. And I want to come to your church. I do, I work a lot, but I love interacting with the people from your church. That's the distinction that we're talking about there, right? Not just this concept, but it's actually living it out, living it out on a day-to-day -day basis. The second way theologians refer to the church is the church 
invisible. Everybody say invisible. Very good. This is all those who the Father have given to Christ. It consists of all those who truly belong to God, all those who are elect from the past age to the present age to the age to come. These are all true believers and not just those who say that they're Christians. Because there's a significance to understand here. When we come to God, you enter into a family much larger than our local context, right? We enter into something even bigger than sovereign grace or risen hope. We enter into a family that is called by God. It is all those who God the Father has called. Now, here's the question. Are you a part of that church? Your name on that roll. Now, here's the thing. We can go through the motions, right? We can go through the motions of church. We can know all the theological words, all the church jargon. We may even partake in the, the, the elements, the sacramental elements of the church. And the reason why I bring this up is because that was my personal narrative until the junior, uh, the junior, my junior year of high school. I thought I was a Christian. I thought I was born again because I was religious. In fact, if I died the, the if I died before the junior year of high school, everyone would have thought that I was a Christian and that I was with Jesus. But it would have been the furthest thing from the truth. I knew religion very well. I attempted to live an individualistic moral life. I maintained that my good works outweighed my bad. I also thought that I, I can just live my life outside of the church, the local church. I don't need that. I believe the lie of autonomy and the lie of self-sufficiency. I thought in and of myself, I can do it. And some of you here believe that yourselves as well. Even some of us who are believers, we believe that we can do it ourselves. Let's go back to the first line. I believe in God, the Father, the Almighty. That's who I put my trust in. I like the way that Cyprian, he was an uh, eminent figure in North Africa, an early church theologian. He said it this way. He said, whoever is separated from the church and is joined to an adulterous, false church, lie of self-sufficiency, is separated from the promises of the church. Nor can he who forsakes the church of Christ attain to the rewards of Christ. He is a stranger. He is profane. He's an enemy. He can no longer have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. Can't do this outside of the church. But I'm so thankful and I implore you to, to run to God if you're in that place of self-sufficiency. Because through the gospel, when it was preached to my soul, the, the middle of my junior year, it transformed everything for me. I started to love the things of God. The Holy Spirit exalted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life, and Christ was the head. My Savior was Christ, and he was the king over every area of my life. And then it was interesting that he developed this love for the church in all of its imperfection. In all of its issues, the church is God's good design. It was God's design that he would belong, that we would belong to a church and not just attend and not just go to it. No, that we would belong and be known within a church. Because that's what Jesus died for, right? He died for his bride. He died for the church. 
And nothing's going to come against the church. It says in Matthew 16, 18, and I tell you, talking to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When you come to God, you come to Mount Zion, the church. Now, the question again is, are you a part of this visible and invisible church? This week, how can you depend on the visible church? How can you serve the church? When you say, as we read, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, you are proclaiming that you trust in Jesus, that you've repented of your sins and you have received him as your Lord and Savior, regardless of what denominational label you may be connected to. Now here is, with that, I praise God for the family of churches we have in Sovereign Grace. Praise God for them. I also praise God for the churches in this city, in this region, in this state, in this country who are faithfully preaching the gospel. And we, we saw that even today. We pray for other churches, wanting to see the prosperity of the gospel continue. Yes, they may do things differently than we do, but they're proclaiming the good news of Christ and his atoning work on the cross. So that is why we say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the universal church. It will ultimately be on full display. And I look forward to this day when God's redeeming power for his kingdom is seen by all. John mentions it in Revelation 7, 9. You all have probably read the verse many times. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm, palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Say this with me. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Yeah, that's what we'll be saying. Many different coming together. So when you come to God, you first come to Mount Zion, the church and the living God. Next, you come to the communion of saints. Look at verse 23, Hebrews 12, 23. It says, and to all the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all. So this word right here, the assembly translates a Greek word, ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. Good. Which is made up of two Greek words. One meaning called, and the other out. It is the normal New Testament word. It's used 115 times in the New Testament. The church is the called out people of God. Its definition is a body of Christians called out of the Roman and Judean system to come together to create a separate civil community. It's meant to politically autonomous, a body of Christians who are not under the the king, but under the rule of Jesus, under no other jurisdiction but that of Jesus. No man ruled them, only Jesus. And that was the reason these same Christians ran into trouble when they came into contact with kings and rulers. They were arrested, right? They were crucified and they were martyred because they dropped everything, dropped Caesar, dropped their allegiances, and took up Jesus. We need to be that today. We need to be the ecclesia today. We need to put aside all of our political systems, 
our ethnic affiliations, holding tightly to our tribal upbringings or our cultural comforts. If we're honest, we find ourselves clinging to these other communities when things get difficult. If we're honest, we we cling to these other communities around political seasons. Well, it's quiet. I'm going to preach to the walls. Okay. We do. And if we hold our earthly identities and labels tighter than our union with Christ, we need to examine if we're even in Christ. Jesus trumps all. And it comes from a a starting point. And it has to start with Christ. Because why? He is the firstborn. Look, it says in Colossians 1.5, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It says in Colossians 1.18, it says that He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that is that in everything he might be preeminent. Jesus is that. And as God's people, as God's firstborn, we are given this special privilege as well. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim, why, do we, why are we this? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our hope is found in Jesus. Our hope should be placed on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen? Martin Luther said, when Christians say, I believe in the communion of saints, they are confessing that there is uh, on earth a little holy flock of community excuse me, a little holy flock or community of pure saints under one head, Christ. It is called together by the Holy Spirit in one faith, mind, and understanding. It possesses a variety of gifts, yet is united in love. So this little holy flock that Luther describes is united together by one shepherd. The flock itself is greatly diverse and different, but it's clearly joined together by God the Father. Now, you may have, you may have seen a beautiful snapshot of this if you uh, were at the international dinner last Saturday. How many people were there? Yeah. Over 30 different ethnicities were represented at that dinner. Between the Indian music performed by Ashish and his family, the Jamaican Christmas carol sung by Joel and a group of Jamaicans. That's not a bad, that, that's not a bad term. That's what we, we said, right, Joel? All right, a group of Jamaicans. All right. <laughs> you got to be careful. <laughs> a German musical selection sung by Petra and Graham. A gospel call and response sung by Larry Henderson. Then we had testimonies uh, from people who were sharing about where they were from. Puerto Rico by Miriam Collins. Honduras by Rob Arias. Israel, Mark Simon brought word from Israel. And Cameroon, when Carrie Heiser broke out. How many people, again, she broke out into that song? That was incredible, right? If you missed it, then you missed it. You shouldn't have been, you should have been there. (laughs) And then, not to forget the incredible food, right? Incredible food that caused our bellies and our hearts to be full. We were called together by the Holy Spirit in one faith, 
mind and understanding and even bellies, all in love. See, when you come to God, you come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God. And I, I didn't even expound. Let's go back into the, the text very quickly. Verse, um, the first part, excuse me, the end of 22, where it says, and to the innumerable angels in festive gathering. They're present too, showing the diversity that is before God. This further highlights the diversity that is present when you come to God. The same angels who cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory in Isaiah 6, 3. The same angels who proclaim, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing in Revelation 5, 12. The same angels that rejoice when one sinner comes to Christ. You remember in Luke 15, it says, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That's what's going on when you come to God. First, we come to the church, Mount Zion. Then we come to the assembly of the firstborn, this idea of the communion of saints. And then we come to the righteous made perfect. Look at verse 23 in your, in your text. It says at the end, and the assembly, uh, and, the, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. This is where we start to see this intentionality, uh, paths being crossed and coming together and mingling and marinating together. We start to uh, take on the one another's. Everybody say one another's. The spirits made perfect is an already not yet moment where, we're, where sinful people are made righteous in the sight of God and they're being sanctified together, being more holy by belonging to a fellowship of other called out ones. Now, this idea of fellowship of, or koinonia, the Greek word uh, is koinonia, this fellowship or communion with others, it's rich in meaning. In the scriptures, it's used to describe the sharing in business, law or citizenship, marriage and friend, friendship. Simply put, it's the sharing of life. The Bible says that we can't come to the Father unless we come where? To the Son, right? Through the Son. Our koinonia or our fellowship with God must start with a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that, that fellowship is sweet when you enter into a saving relationship with Christ. But that fellowship, it, it, it can't just stop here. The fellowship with God vertically has to move horizontally with the brethren. Those who have never come to a place of really sharing your life with others, you're missing out on a spiritual reality, on a, entering into a spiritual fellowship with others. You're missing out on the fullness of joy that God intends for you. When, you. when we come to God, we come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We come to people, fellow sinners who've been saved by grace through faith in Christ. That's who we come to. So if you're trying to avoid people, you can't. You can't. Christian fellowship is for the purpose of displaying heavenly realities that are to come. Now, here's the question. How is your life structured to allow heavenly realities to be put on full display? Sometimes they interrupt things. 
They interrupt the regular nap that you're supposed that you're, you know, the kids are supposed to have after church, right? They interrupt the, the me time that I want to have after work. Sometimes it's being intentional to have coffee with someone that you see, a brother and sister that you see who are hurting. Sometimes it's lingering late after church, connecting with other people. Or are you the type that bolts out right away, not known by anyone? The koinonia, what it does is fellowship, it creates margin. And I know what you're thinking, I already have a busy life, right? My life is already so full. But there should be a distinction. That's how people are drawn to us. They see, excuse me, drawn to the gospel. They see this attractiveness. Why are these people getting together? Why are these people who look different, talk different, vote differently, getting together as one? I need, to, I need to find out what's going on with that. That's when statements are made to the world. And yes, it's messy. And yes, it's hard. And yes, it's frustrating. And yes, we have hurts. But that's why we have the gospel. This idea of a greater reality, the gospel reality that we have in Christ, working through all those things for his glory. Richard Sibbs, he's an Anglican theologian. This is what he says. He says, as we are knit to Christ by faith, so we must, so we must, so we must be knit to the communion of saints by love. We must. Jesus said it much better, right? In John 13, 35, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. And I would encourage you that if you, if you don't have someone or a group of people that you're known by, do so. Do so immediately to send the right people in your life, but actively pursue healthy relationships with other believers. I remember several years ago when T and I were taking a road trip from Philadelphia to Houston. Yeah, I know some of you in your mind right now is like, why would you do that? Um, I was thinking the same thing. With two kids, right? Praise God for DVDs in, in, in cars. And my wife with much wisdom saying they're only going to drink water. We had a great road trip because they didn't want to drink the water. If we had juice, we'd be stopping every 30 minutes. But during that trip, we were listening to a sermon. And I would say some of the greatest moments in our marriage is in the car, maximizing the time that we have together. During that sermon, the, the, the preacher was saying, who are you known by? Are you known? And we were convicted by this. So we prayed and God has been faithful all throughout our marriage to, to send people our way that we are known by. We, I would encourage you, don't live your life in isolation. Don't believe the lie of self-sufficiency. Get connected. Get connected in your community group. Now, community groups, some people say, ah, I'm not really excited about that. That's not my thing. Plug in. Get in the mix. It's, I, I get it. There are times when it feels like a duty rather than delight. Can anybody amen that? But it's so interesting how God meets with his people when we gather together in a unique way. He comes in the midst of that and says, I know you have a billion things to do, but I'm with the people of God. So I would encourage you, get in the mix. Club 119, the ladies are, are, are uh, killing it. I have to use that term one time. They're killing it in Club 119, right? If you don't know what that is, find out. Uh, join a ministry. Simply ask someone, will you, 
Will you pour into my life? I remember someone said that you should always have three people in your life. Someone older who can pour into you biblical wisdom, biblical truth, right? You should have a peer, someone your age who is, you're sharing life, you're doing life together at the same stage of life. And then lastly, someone younger so that you can pour into them. You should always have those individuals in your life. And I love the fact that Christ modeled sharing his life. Read the Gospels. We see it. Sharing his life with, with others and then ultimately sharing his blood for us. True koinonia, true fellowship, produces the fullness of joy that God intended for you. And I would encourage you to stay with it. When it's difficult, when it's hard, when times, when it meets that friction, continue to point each other to Christ, changes your life. To the spirits, coming to a close, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, this, this one another, there's actually 59 one another's in the New Testament. You, you probably know them. Love one another. I won't go through all of them, but love one another in John 13, 34. Be at peace with one another, Mark 9, 50. Honor one another, Romans 12, 10. Greet one another, Romans 16, 16. Serve one another in love, Galatians 5, 13. Be patient with one another in love, in Ephesians 4. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5, 21. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, Ephesians 5, 19. Love one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Uh-oh. <laughs> Some of us do that well. I know my brother. <laughs> my brother Joel will greet you with a holy kiss. Amen? So don't get weirded out. But I actually, I asked a couple community group leaders to share the one another's that they see in their community group. And it was interesting, the responses I got. I asked Mike Ryan, and he mentioned... Uh, I said, hey, is there anyone in your community group who's spurring one another toward love and good deeds? And he said the co-family, opening, fa- opening their home for community group and organizing worship and child care and child care and child care. Praise God, right? <laughs> I talked to Leo and he talked about the one another's being humble to one another in love, not grumbling. He mentioned Lynn Singer, correct? And he said that uh, how humble she is in owning her own weakness and showing grace rather than grumbling. I talked to, asked Jason, can you give me some, in, some people in your community group? Jason said that he has the best community group in the church. I don't, I don't want any quarrels among community group leaders, but that's what he said. And he said that caring for one another, Noel, having people over, making coffee, talking with people about their struggles and giving advice and prayer and accountability to young moms. He mentioned Mayat, using her therapist background to care for people, using her knowledge of the legal system, system and helping people navigate through it. Mentioned Corey, Corey Afuniga, building trust with one another, how he excels at reaching out to men and asking them how they're doing and praying for them and keeping them accountable if they're prompted to do so. He mentioned Katie Bomberger, for the comfort of one another is a great example of comforting people when they're going through parenting struggles. She's quick to listen and ask good questions. Her real strength is following up with people by sending texts and scriptures and just asking, how, what can I do and how can I pray? Going back to even the way that we started Rosario Butterfield, being patient with one another and showing love to one another, although her lifestyle was very the opposite of what Pastor Ken would co-sign on, 
she would say that Ken and Flo, despite her beliefs, they faithfully shared the gospel truth to her in love, and then she became an unlikely convert. So when we come to God, we come to the church, we come to the communion of saints, we come to the one another's, but lest we miss the whole main point of all this, we come to Jesus. Look at verse 24. It says, and to Jesus, <laughs> the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is the best place to be. That's the best place to land. Best place to land. Yes, the church is going to be struggles, imperfect in all of our ways. If you find the perfect church, don't go to it because you will mess it up. The communion of saints, we come to each other, navigating life, encouraging, spurring one another on, right? The, the one another's, we come to the one another's where we're pushing each other to look more like Jesus. The rubbing of shoulders, sanctifying each other as we're, we do things differently, but we're pointing to, to someone who's greater than us. And who is that? That's Jesus. And I love when you come to the communion table, where we're all on the same plane, all on the, at the same place. We're reminded of who Christ is and what he's done, done for us on our behalf. That is the place that we ultimately come to as Christ. May that be our mantra. May that be the, the banner that we hold up. As we have many flags that we have, may we lay those flags down and then pull up the, the banner of Christ. And it is at the communion table that we see that occur. So are we able to have communion today? So I'm, I'm going to have Tim come up, and we're going to share together at the communion table. The idea of the Holy Catholic Church is what we believe in. We believe in the communion of saints, and we do that together. Amen? As one body together.